Man, so many fun things are going on. Yes, I'm 50 years old, and uh, no, it's... People ask me, you know, do you feel old? And I say, I'd only feel old if I was going to be a grandfather. And then I found out I am going to be a grandfather. So. But it's a secret. I can't tell anybody. So in the meantime, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Don't tell Mary I said anything. Luke chapter 17 is our text. We're studying through the gospel of Luke. We find ourselves talking about the healing of the ten lepers. title of the message is Stop, Drop, and Extol. Laugh all you want. I have received only one alternate title, and it was for next week's message. So... Anybody want, you want to suggest a title? I'll even give you a byline if I use it. So email me titles to the upcoming messages. It's, it'll get you into the word, I'll tell you, because you have to really figure out what's going on. Could do a whole radio series, just titles. Okay, maybe not. All right, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers. They stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this story as we thank you for every word in the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that we could put ourselves into this story. It's always our desire to to be there, as it were, to hear you speaking to these ten men and to your disciples, to get a sense and a feel for what was really going on, how glorious this must have been, how wonderful. And then to step back, Lord, and to make those applications in our own life. These things that happened so many centuries ago, Lord, still having an impact on my daily life today. And that of my brothers and sisters and that of those who are here that don't even know you. And I pray, Lord, that by the ministry and in the power of your Holy Spirit, the word of God would be heard and received. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Oftentimes in Bible studies, we mention the three languages of the Bible, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It surprises us to learn that most scholars believe Jesus spoke Aramaic. It was the language the Jews had learned and brought back from their captivity in Babylon. In more recent times, an expanding number of scholars has rejected Aramaic as the language Jesus spoke. They're convinced that the language Jesus used was Hebrew and not Aramaic. Whether Jesus spoke Aramaic or Hebrew, 
his words were influenced by another kind of language, what we might call the language of love. His use of words and choice of phrases are often romantic in the sense that they speak to the heart of a person about his love for them. The story of the ten, ten lepers is a case in point. It's an illustration of Jesus' use of romance. He clearly and distinctly, in either Aramaic or Hebrew, told ten lepers, go show yourselves to the priests. Nine of them complied. One of them started to comply and then stopped and returned to Jesus and fell down at his feet. Jesus clearly and distinctly, in either Aramaic or Hebrew, said to him, were there not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Hey, Jesus, the nine are doing what you told them to do. Or are they? You see, even though Jesus told them to go, it's clear he wanted them to stop and return to him. It's confusing unless you factor in a romantic element. This is a kind of language that all lovers understand. Go. But don't go. Start off, but stop and return. God is love, and Jesus loves you. He expresses His love through romance. We can be so analytical, so intellectual, so academic, that we miss these subtleties of His speech. I want to look at the story of the ten lepers as a romance. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, when Jesus says, go, you should start walking. And number two, when Jesus says go, you should stop and worship. First of all, in verses 11 through 14, when Jesus says go, you should start walking. Leprosy began with a small patch on a person's skin. The spot would become glossy, then scaly, and then the skin would become numb. The person would begin to lose feeling and sensitivity in and around the affected area. The infected area would become an open ulcerous sore. There was no healing. The sore would begin to emit blood and ooze all the time. The skin of the person would begin to bunch up, especially around the eyes, the ears, and the nose. Oftentimes, the person would begin to look like a lion. The skin would feel like an elephant's to the touch. It would begin to blister. Soon the leprosy would spread to other parts of the body with no feeling you could not gauge how much pressure you were applying or how hot something might be. You could cut or burn yourself and not even know it. Different body parts would begin to fall off, the ears, the nose, the fingers, the feet. It was a hideous, terrible disease. But there was a little more to it. It was not just what you could see. Inwardly, of course, the disease was at work as well. The voice of the leper was affected. It became hoarse and raspy. I can only do that once or twice this morning, by the way. And the odor of a leopard would become a great stench. So great was the stench, we are told, that a taste would be left in the mouth of anyone who smelled a leper. It's ruin your lunch. A leper was a living dead man. In fact, we are told in the Middle Ages there would be a funeral for a person who would contract leprosy, even though the person were yet alive. The law of God in the Old Testament required that the pitiful men and women who were infected with this plague of leprosy could have no contact with others who were not lepers. The leper had to leave his family and live in rudely constructed huts in a colony of other lepers without the daily common fellowship of the people of God or even their own families. 
And the law said that as they approached anyone, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that no unsuspecting person would come near them. Leprosy was very real, but it was also a representation in Scripture. Leprosy was a physical representation of the true spiritual condition of every man, woman, and child. The filthiness and repulsiveness of sin are represented in leprosy. If you could see yourself the way you look to God, you'd see yourself as a pile of rotting flesh. We got up this morning, all of us, took a shower, put our nice clothes on, got ready for church, and you look good, by the way. You're a good-looking congregation. I'd stack you up against any congregation in town. If we have a good-looking congregation contest, we'd win. You look good. But a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ from heaven's perspective can look great outwardly, but from, from that perspective, they look like a pile of rotten, leprous flesh because God sees what's really going on. And so leprosy, real, but also a great representation of how awful sin is. The leper who trudged down a hot, dusty road crying out, unclean, was a visual reminder to you that you too were a spiritual leper who needed God's supernatural cleansing from sin. Jesus encountered ten lepers limping. Verse 11. That was an alternate title to the message this morning. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Ten desperate and destitute men had heard something about Jesus. They did not possess a complete knowledge of who Jesus was or of what he was doing. Indeed, their knowledge of Jesus would be less than even the common folk of the time because they were uh, together in a leper colony, really shut off from uh, common society. There wasn't probably a daily leper's newsletter or anything going on telling them what was, you know, they couldn't log on and, and get the latest news. And so they knew something about Jesus. And they knew enough to cry out to him for help. Now, it's sad that folks sometimes become desperate and destitute before they will cry out to Jesus for help. Some of you were like that. And then you did cry out to the Lord, and he was faithful. Even though you waited and held out and, and fought against the gospel for years, finally when you became totally desperate, when nothing else could help you, when you were destitute in some area of your life, either physically or financially or emotionally, you cried out to the Lord and He helped you. And it's common, one of the common reactions that you have is, why did I wait so long? Why did I wait until I was in my teens or my 20s or my 30s or my 50s or at the end of my life to, to meet Jesus Christ? And you, know, you realize it's never the Lord's fault. You look back and you see all the opportunities that God had given you to come to Him and all the refusals that you made. And there's this a sense that, oh, Lord, I wish that I had come sooner. The Lord is gracious. He makes up for lost time and fills your heart with His love and His wonder. But so often we, we wait. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And you're waiting. Maybe you don't think your life is desperate or destitute. It is. You just don't see it. You don't see it spiritually. You're a spiritual leper. 
You're a pile of rotting flesh from heaven's point of view. Cry out to the Lord. Turn to Jesus before things start falling apart and falling off of your life. I thought that was good. So anyway, when they saw him, or no, when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. There was no known cure for leprosy. But interestingly enough, there was a ritual you had to undergo just in case you happened to be healed from leprosy. You can read all about leprosy and the ritual of cleansing, which I know you'll want to do this afternoon in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapters 13 and 14. The ritual for cleansing did not heal you. Sometimes people read uh, those chapters and they think, oh, when you had leprosy, you'd go show yourself to the priest and go through these sacrifices and, and God might choose to heal you. No, not at all. If you thought you had leprosy, you went to the priest and he would observe you and he would declare after a while whether you actually had leprosy or not and then they would kick you out of society. If you thought you had been healed from your leprosy, you would go back to a priest and he would determine after a period of seven or eight days and after some sacrifice that you had been cleansed. But he had nothing, to, there was no healing involved. It had to be done supernaturally. Ten lepers asked for mercy. And of course, in their case, mercy meant healing. Jesus told them to go as if they had already been healed and now only needed to show themselves to the priest. When they heard this, go and show yourself to the priest, this was what a cured leper would do. Jesus had not touched them. He had not prayed for them. He had done nothing that you could see or hear except speak the word go. But as they went, they were cleansed. Their going represents to us obedience to the Word of God. They simply obeyed the Word without an explanation, without any reasoning among themselves. First of all, without explanation. They had no explanation from Jesus of what He was doing or why they should do what He commanded. We can fail to obey God's Word because we want an explanation of where obedience will lead us or of what obedience might require of us. I would suggest that sometimes in my life and in your life as a Christian, we do not experience victory or blessing or whatever you want to call it because we know what God has told us to do, but we want an explanation of how it's all going to work out. Lord, in my marriage, if I do this, How's it going to work out? Is my wife going to do what she's supposed to do? Is my husband going to fall into line? Is it going to save our marriage or blow it apart? Lord, I'm ready to obey you just as soon as you explain to me how this is all going to work out. And, and, and we do that in a lot of areas. We don't know we do that. We're, we're naturally prone to curiosity and to asking questions. It's what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the Garden of Eden after all. And many times we read something in the Word of God and what Jesus is saying after we read it as we seek Him is, Hey, Gene, go. Go on. Go on, do it. And I'm like, well, okay, Lord, if I do that, oh, the if. Oh, Lord, if I do that, what are you going to do? 
How are you going to bless? How's that going to work out? And so think about that. They had no explanation, but they obeyed. And then they did not reason about this command to go. First of all, they didn't analyze it. A lot of times we read something in the Word of God and we want to analyze it. This is where you end up into this area of liberal theology. You can see a lot of this on these television shows, the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, when they're talking about the Bible and Jesus, all these eggheads, you know, with their degrees plastered on the wall behind them. Oh, we know that God didn't really write the Bible. It was written by ignorant fishermen. And so uh, let me tell you what I believe is happening here. And they analyze it and put textual criticism and all this kind of weird stuff. And they end up, you know, there's no power. There's no grace. There's no strength. There's really nothing in the Word of God. They don't even really know who Jesus was. They don't know anything about it. And, And so they analyze it. Or they criticize it. A lot of people criticize the Bible. You probably have friends or family who, when you bring up the Bible or Jesus Christ, oh, wait, you know, the Bible's full of errors. Error after error. Oh, yeah, name one. Oh, I can't. There's so many of them, I can't even name one. It just overwhelms me to think of all the errors in the Bible. And they have these criticisms. Or you see what Christians have done over the centuries. There's more killing among Christians than anybody. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay yeah. Uh, and, and there's all this criticism of biblical Christianity. Or they minimize it. Oh, that works for you. I'm glad that you've got Jesus and that that works for you, but I've got Jack Daniels and he works for me. And, uh, you know, so, so let's just keep in our own world, you know, as long as I can, you know, party down or whatever. They minimize the effect of the world. Or, or they've got their, you know, their false religion or their spiritual belief. They've got their Scientology, which is popular now. When it becomes Scientologists, go watch War of the Worlds. Woo! You know, cool. Anyway. Or they culturalize it. Well, that only works in certain settings. It's interesting, nine Jews, one Samaritan, and they didn't have a discussion about culture. They, they didn't say, now, hey, Sammy, do you think Jesus is talking to you too as a Samaritan? Get it, Sammy the Samaritan. I just, the good Sam club. I mean, come on, stay, stay with me here. <laughs> Or you, they didn't have a discussion about whether he was talking to Jews or Samaritans or how that worked. These guys just, they didn't do any of this. They didn't reason at all because if they had stopped to reason, they wouldn't have gone. They would have said, well, how, how, can you pray for me? Can you touch me? Can you spit on me like you did the blind guy with the, you know, can you do something so that I can hang my hat on it and... And know that you've healed me? No, they just listened to Jesus and they did it. They did what Jesus commanded and as they went, they experienced the benefits of obedience. In their case, the benefits were immediate. They were immediately healed of leprosy. When a person receives Jesus Christ as their Savior from sin, they are immediately cleansed from their spiritual leprosy. They stand before God whole and cleansed. They no longer look like a pile of rotting flesh before the Lord. They've been born again into His family. Now later, as you walk with the Lord and seek to obey Him, you find certain issues do take more time in this sense. Let's say you come to the Lord and you've destroyed a relationship. Maybe you come to the Lord in in the midst of a bad marriage. Well... There's no promise that that your marriage is going to survive. In fact, sometimes people come to know the Lord and that's the final blow. And the spouse says, that's it. I'm not going to live with you anymore. I I don't want to even know you as a Jesus freak. 
And, and it's a challenge to our faith oftentimes. Everything doesn't fall into line circumstantially. Uh, and you just need to know that. But no matter the immediate results, you are to obey the Lord and go forward in your walk with Him. You will experience the benefits of obedience, if not immediately, ultimately. Now, this is the point where the story turns, takes an interesting turn, I believe. Jesus told them to go. They went. But one stopped. He returned to Jesus. Before you say, of course he did, it's what Jesus wanted. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Put yourself in the story. You're a leper. You don't know very much about Jesus, but you think or you've heard that he can heal you. He tells you, Go and show yourself to the priests. What would you do? Shouldn't you fully obey him? Shouldn't you go and show yourself to the priests? What if you didn't fully obey? What if you started to go, but once you realized you were healed, did something else? Would the leprosy return because you didn't fully obey? These are real questions. I think this is a, some valid stuff. Now, most of the time, we're told that the nine who were healed were unthankful, possible, improbable. If you had leprosy and you were healed of leprosy, do you think you'd be unthankful? Hey, it's about time. <laughs> I mean, what, you know, what, kind of, what kind of unthankful? I mean, they're not unthankful. The nine were simply keeping to the letter of what Jesus had said. Hey, Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest. And that's what I'm going to do because I don't want to jeopardize this healing. So why did the one leper break ranks and return? I think that the best way to understand the whole scene has to do with this language of romance. Jesus said, go, but we know that he meant don't go. He also meant stop, return, worship me. And so in verses 15 through 19, when Jesus says go, you should stop and worship. As the one leper broke away and headed back to Jesus, I think the other nine probably warned him that he was not following the word of God. Go and show. That's the teaching from the lips of Jesus. He took the risk. It can only be because something had stirred, not just in his flesh, but in his heart. He recognized and responded to the love of God. This Jesus who had spoken to him with such tender mercy must be loved in return. Surely no legal requirement of going to a priest could overrule love expressed from a pure heart. And so one of them in verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Now why does Luke the author of this gospel and a physician mentioned specifically that it was with a loud voice that he glorified God. Well, as you remember, leprosy had affected this man's voice. He'd been speaking with a low, raspy voice. It's hard for him to talk at all and painful to do so. It had been a long time, we would suggest, since he could not only speak normally but raise his voice in praise to the Lord. Imagine if you really like to sing, which many of you do, and you go to the allergist, which many of you do, and they tell you that you've got nodules or something going on and you, you shouldn't really talk much or sing, which happens to many of us here in the valley. 
And, and it, you just, you're bummed. I mean, you want to you come to church and sing. And now imagine you're a leper and you can barely talk and it hurts you every time you speak. There's really not too many other people to talk to other than other lepers that sound worse than you. And then you get healed. And the first thing you want to do is just shout to the glory of God. It's reminding me of when Christians sometimes first get saved and you do crazy shout type things. Not, not necessarily vocally, but I remember when I first got saved, it was Christian clothing. Christian hat, Christian shirt, Christian necklace, Christian bracelet. I don't know if there was any Christian pants. I suspect that there were. But I know that there were Christian tennis shoes and socks. And so you could be fully outfitted. Here I come, a Jesus billboard, shouting to the glory of God, you know, people thinking you were crazy. Uh, you got rid of all your old music, and now you had Jesus music, you know, all, the, all these groups, and you were playing it loud. You'd get up to these guys. Of course, back then, a stereo wasn't like it is now. You know, it was, you'd buy a stereo for 50 bucks, not $5 million, you know, and stuff. But you'd get up and they'd be playing their radio and you'd crank up Mustard Seed Faith or Parable or Petra. I mean, you were crazy. You did stuff like that because you just wanted to shout. You were, you'd been pent up so long and now God had set you free. And so that's what's happening here. Of course he wanted to shout. You're told now for the first time that this one man was a Samaritan. Samaritans, as you know, were considered half-breeds by the Jews they were the result of Jews intermarrying with mostly their Assyrian captors some centuries earlier. And so Jews who felt that they were pure despised Samaritans, and the Samaritans had broken off and formed their own kind of quasi-religion. The point Jesus is going to make is that a Samaritan had greater understanding of his love than nine Jews because they were bound by the law. A lot of the Jews couldn't see the love of God because they were hammered by the law and keeping it in, in that real strict way. It's another example, too, in Jesus' ministry that the gospel was for everyone, to the Jew first, but also to the Samaritan and ultimately to the Gentiles and to the whole world, for whosoever will believe in him. Verse 17, so Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Now, Jesus addressed this question to everyone who was listening and to anyone who ever hears it. Weren't the nine doing exactly what Jesus commanded? Was this some kind of a trick question? Think, you know how the disciples thought that this was before they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. They were always having trouble understanding Jesus. They, they didn't know when to keep children away from him and when to let children come. They, they just couldn't figure things out because they, they really didn't have the full picture yet. And so when Jesus just says, hey, where are the nine guys? Oh, man, if you're Peter and John, you're like, they're on their way to the priests. Just like you told them. Well, Christians sometimes think that God is giving them these kinds of trick questions. That God is tricking you somehow. Or, or it, you know, he says one thing, but did he mean another thing? Or they feel as though their obedience has made their circumstances worse instead of better. And God tricked them into obeying. Pastor said, if I do this, my life will be wonderful. So I started doing it. Now my life is tanked. 
I'm worse off than I was. God tricked me into obeying him. Now, you might not admit to anyone that I'll admit it. I have thought that before. Lord, you fooled me. I thought this was going to be great and glorious. And look at it. It was a trick question. I got the wrong answer. And so it's that kind of a thing that's going on. If you enter the realm of romance and remember that God is love and that Jesus loves you, then you'll immediately put aside these thoughts that God ever would trick you or trip you up. You'll understand that love always overrules the law and that love is the fulfillment of the law. You'll understand immediately that even though Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest, he meant, turn around and worship me. And this one guy got it. Because he knew the love of God. This is very interesting. Listen. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. The nine lepers, following the letter of the law, went to show themselves to the Jewish priests. The one leper probably didn't know it, but he was also showing himself to the priest. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. He was and is God's great high priest, the one all other priests only represented. So this Samaritan was in fact fulfilling the command to go and show yourself to the priest. Love never breaks God's law. It only fills it out and fulfills it. Now, does this sound like a trick to you? Go show yourself to the priest. And then you're healed and you're thinking, hey, you're that priest. You're that mediator between God and man. Someone with this kind of power and ability, this person I've heard all of this about, it's you. I'm going to show myself to you because you're my priest. I'm going to bow down and worship you because you're my God. And it makes perfect sense if your heart is stirred with love. Verse 18, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. Jesus was preparing his disciples for the inevitable result of his ministry. He would be despised and rejected by the Jewish people who thought, even while they were killing him, that they were keeping to the letter of God's law. The Jews would not give glory to God for the spiritual healing that Jesus came to offer to them and to the rest of mankind. We left the Samaritan down on the ground. It's time for him to get up and go. And so in verse 19, and he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. This phrase at the end, made you well, indicates a complete spiritual healing, not just a physical healing. All 10 had been made well physically. Only one had been made well spiritually. Nine no longer had leprosy in their flesh, but they still had it spiritually. They were not saved. They were lost. Sometimes in their desperation, people cry out to the Lord to help them, as we talked about. In His mercy, He does help them. They go off helped, but not whole. They do not give their lives to Jesus. You know people like this. You've been witnessing to them or sharing with them, or they know you're a Christian. They've gone, they're in some crisis in their life. Something terrible has happened. They're destitute or desperate in some area you've got something that they recognize. They, they think maybe you can help. Maybe your God can help them. Maybe going to church or whatever they think. And so maybe they even start coming to your house. They ask you for counsel or you bring them to church. And they come. 
They start to come pretty religiously, pretty faithfully. And things start to change in their lives. Just the, the, the witness of Christians around them, the love of God through Christians and the love of God into their life. It starts to, you know, open up some things and, and maybe God allows some things to get a little bit better in their life. And then all of a sudden they back off. Well, I don't really need God anymore. Uh, I mean, yeah, I had this crisis in my marriage. I had this crisis in my business. I had this crisis in my body. But that's past now. I, yeah, I'm thankful, sure. But I, I don't really, I don't want to get deep into it like you. I mean, I just need to plug in every now and then whenever I have a problem, right? And so there's a lot of people like this. And, and hundreds, maybe thousands I've seen, you know, literally in the 20 years that I've been here. Just people who come and then drift away. It's always, I, I make a joke about it, but I run into people. People say, hey, I didn't know so-and-so came to our church. I said, they don't. So I saw them in the store, and they said they come to Calvary. I said, they came in 1985, <laughs> one time. We actually have the biggest church in Hanford because everybody's been here at least once. <laughs> and since we don't have membership, you know, no. But anyway, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's sad, though. It's sad that people, and some of us did this before we really surrender our lives to God. Oh, God, help me. I need help. And then he, he does through his word and by his people. And then we trail away again. And we're missing the point. The ritual for being declared clean by the priest lasted seven or eight days and it involved the sacrifice of some animals. There is no ritual to be performed when you go directly to Jesus Christ. He is already your sacrifice. I love this part of it because now this one guy, Jesus says, hey, get up and go. Not go to the priests like I originally told you. That's a dead issue for him now. There's no need to go and fulfill that ritual. He's done everything that the law required when he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. There's nothing more for him to do. He doesn't have to go and wait seven or eight days to get back into the real world. He doesn't have to have a priest declare him clean. He doesn't have to sacrifice the two birds and pour water over one. It's a big, huge ritual. All of that was done. Some people, because we grow up in a ritual society or religion, it, it, we, you know, the Lord is calling to us and we call upon Him for help and then we think that we have to do something. We have to go through some ritual. We need to light a few candles or go talk to the priest. Get our sins off of us or something like that. And really we just need to stop and worship the Lord. He is our priest. He's made the sacrifice. There's nothing you could do. If there was anything you could do, you could have done it. But instead, you came to the end of yourself and, and realized that you were a, a rotten spiritual leper crying out for his healing, and he gave it to you. And so the Samaritan went his way, walking with the Lord in a love relationship. It's love from relationship that God desires, not a legalism from rituals. The Samaritan understood the romance of God in saving him. He responded to it and found himself obeying the word out of love, not out of law. He found himself fulfilling the law of love and enjoying a relationship free from ritual religion. This might be one of the greatest areas of scripture to describe the difference between law, legalism, and just 
love that overrules the laws. Because when we talk about it in church and you say things like, you know, you're, you're uh, to respond and obey out of love, not the law, some people think, well, are there no rules? Are there no regulations? Give me the five, what happened to the Ten Commandments and all of this. And it's hard, and I've, I admit it's hard for me sometimes to get my hands around that and think, Lord, how does that really work? And so the Lord gives us stories like this, and He says, well, here's how it works. If you just let me work in your life and respond out of love and do what love leads you to do, then you'll find yourself automatically keeping the law. Now, this poor leper, he didn't know, he probably thought, that, you know, he probably just wanted to come back and thank the Lord, and he probably thought he would have to catch up with his buddies and still go to the priest. And, and how excited he must have been when the Lord said, no, just get up and go now. Go to the priest? No, why bother? What are they going to do that I haven't already done? I've pronounced you clean. You've come to the priest. You're whole. You're healed. You're a Christian. You're saved. And so it's beautiful. It's tremendous. And so... We're never against God's law. We're into fulfilling it from a heart of love. There are a great many applications, of course, for believers in this encounter. One is that it is all too possible for Christians to think that they are keeping to the letter of God's law while they violate the spirit of the law. We don't want to become legalistic Christians where we can check off at the end of the day that we did this, did this, did this, and I thank God that I'm not like this other Christian who's having difficulties because they, you know. And we want to be careful and not become legalistic because really it's an issue of the heart and our heart needs to just be broken and open before the Lord. Another application, if you're going to go and walk with Jesus, you must also stop and be a worshiper. It, you know, the picture I have of, of Jesus in, in our relationship, it's like maybe... A, you know, because recently I went to my son's college graduation. And, and, you know, the Christian life isn't going by and getting your diploma and getting a handshake from Jesus Christ. It's getting a hug from your parents because of what you did. You see the difference? And a lot of Christians are on the, they're on the is it a dias or dias when you're on the platform? Not, not the Portuguese last name, but you know what I'm talking about? Dias, right? It, you're, dais? Oh, it's dais. When you're on the platform. <laughs> when you're on the platform and you walk by, I mean, God, you know, you understand what I mean? It, you know, we think of Jesus as if he's the, you know, okay, you finally arrived, Gene. You kept the last issue in your life. And so here's your spiritual diploma. Put it up on the wall of your mansion in heaven. You can have it framed at Staples or, you know, whatever and stuff. No, I mean, it, you know, the Lord, he's going to grab you and hug you and give you slobbery kisses and noogies or whatever it is that, you know, that the Lord does. He's more like your father than he is a proctor or a, a professor. And that's the picture that we want to have. If you're not a believer, I hate to belabor this, but you're a spiritual leper. It doesn't matter how fine you look or how refined you might live. Underneath you are rotting away. Things are falling apart and falling off of your life left and right. You don't know it because you don't have any spiritual feeling. You know, the leper in modern society might go to open the door. And if the lock, we had a door here where the lock was stuck the other day, we ended up breaking the key off in the door. But if you were a leper, you'd just keep turning it because you can't feel 
and, and it would just cut your fingers through to the bone and your flesh would just be falling off. You say, oh, what's that red stuff? I mean, that, and, and so it doesn't matter what you think about yourself. You're, you can't feel spiritually. You need to come to Jesus Christ. You need to give your heart and life to him. And he will immediately cleanse you from your spiritual leprosy. And you'll be able to put yourself fully into this story. Walking with him. Worshiping him. Let's pray together. Lord, I do pray that any unbelievers here would cry out and ask you for mercy. These ten lepers had the, the sense, Lord, that you were there and that it was a moment in their existence and in their life that might not ever happen again. You're passing by and they cried out for mercy. They didn't know everything. Maybe some of them didn't know anything. But they cried out to you and you healed them, Lord. And I pray for any in the hearing of these words, Lord, that, that they would cry out to you. Thank you so much for that, Lord. For my beloved brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I pray that we would meditate on the illustration that you've given here of this Samaritan man who was healed of his leprosy about the love of God and his love in response and how it led him to keep the law in a perfect way, in a fulfilled way. And I pray that we would elevate our thinking, Lord, to those who are lovers of you, who understand the language of love and the romance of our redemption, and that we would see you as our dad giving us a big hug and a kiss rather than somebody who is judging us or uh, patting us on the back in a distant way. We want to enter in fully into fellowship with you, laying before your feet, Lord, and then hearing you tell us, to arise and to go and then going in your power and strength. Do all of these things we pray in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Let's stand together. We'll be back together again on Wednesday night, uh, 7 o'clock. We'll be over in the Fellowship Hall, Lord willing. And uh, starting the book of Judges, I believe, uh, is where we're at. And so love to have you on Wednesday night, 7 to 8.15. Coffee shop's open for about an hour and a half after that. Uh, Next Friday night, between 7 and 9 or 9.30, we're going to be having the cafe open. Stop by the fellowship hall, bring your friends. Just a night of Christian music and fellowship. Uh, probably most of you have a holiday tomorrow. Enjoy yourselves. Get up early. Think about the Lord. And, uh, you know, why sleep in when you can take advantage of getting up early? the one day, Lord, thank you, I've got this one day I can get, uh, whatever, sleep in and then spend some time with the Lord, how's that, and and just uh, give him the day, and start thinking more and more about his great love for you, how much the Lord loves you, and wants to express that love, amen, amen, God bless you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And hallelujah. 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 Forever. 
Amen. Have a great weekend.